0: My name is Ben Greenfield, and on this episode of the Ben Greenfield Life Podcast...
1: You don't just have neurons in your brain, you actually also have neurons in your gut. And unlike the neurons in your brain, which is like, you get what you get, and when they die, they're gone forever. We all know that. You're not supposed to drink, because once those neurons are gone, you never get them back. Unlike that, the neurons in your gut are constantly replenishing. So there's new neurons being generated all the time in your gut.
0: Faith. Family, fitness, health, performance, nutrition, longevity, ancestral living, biohacking, and a whole lot more. Welcome to the show. All right, folks. Well, my guest on today's show is Colleen Cutcliffe. Colleen Cutcliffe, say that 10 times fast. Uh, She has a ton of experience, like over a couple decades, managing and leading big teams in biotech, in pharma, and academia, and she recently started this company called Pendulum Therapeutics. It's this this probiotic and bacteria-based company that we're obviously going to talk a lot more about on today's show. Uh, She has a PhD in biochemistry and molecular biology from Johns Hopkins University, which means that she knows what she's talking about when it comes to all things biochemistry and biology. And this company, Pendulum, is a biotechnology company that she helped to found to kind of bring forth these really crazy new probiotics you've never heard of for things that go way beyond just, say, I don't know, helping you to poop better or strengthening the immune system. So, Colleen, I've been checking out your stuff lately. I'm intrigued this whole concept of, I guess, what you might call the, the gut metabolism axis. So welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: If you're in your 30s, or anywhere beyond, you got to start eliminating senescent cells in your body. These are the so-called zombie cells that make you feel old before it's time to feel old. They linger in your body after their useful function, hence their name, zombie cells, wasting energy and precious nutrition and leading to so many middle-aged symptoms like low energy, brain fog, slow workout recovery, and joint discomfort. But luckily, you can nuke these senescent cells. There are a bunch of different Newly discovered plant derived ingredients that, when expertly combined, can help to reduce senescent cells. And the folks at NeuroHacker have cracked the code on putting them all together into a fantastic product called Qualia Senolytic. Qualia Senolytic. Now, this could be one of the biggest aging breakthroughs of the decade based on what we know about senescent cells. It could take years off how old you feel. In just months. And you only use it twice a month. Six capsules twice a month. Super simple. I'm actually on my cycle right now. I just took six this morning. I'll take six tomorrow morning. Then I set it and forget it for a month. Nuking my senescent cells and feeling younger in the process. So if you're sick of feeling old before your time, try, try qualia senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com slash ben seno. S-e-n o neurohacker.com slash ben seno. Back by a 100-day money-back guarantee and that code BenSeno will give you an additional 15% off at neurohacker.com forward slash BENCENO. All right, folks. Clinical research has shown that therapeutically and for overall health and well-being, the most critical time to ground is when you sleep. The electrons you absorb when grounding neutralizes free radical damage, squelches inflammation, restores healthy endocrine function, enhances cellular gating and circulation. That then improves the cellular uptake of nutrients and oxygen and hormones while maximizing the removal of cellular waste, and you can now ground when you sleep. This company called Ultimate Longevity makes indoor grounded sleeping devices, and they've done clinical research studies on grounding the human body for health. When you sleep on these mats, you get six to eight hours of uninterrupted grounding, meaning I could travel, unroll it onto my hotel room bed, and fight all of the radiation, the inflammation I got from flying on the airplane right there during a full night of sleep full body grounding which is what these mats give you versus just your feet on the ground maximizes the electron transfer because the more surface area contact the more beneficial the electrons the more the results so you get these amazing benefits and inside your body this stream of electrons works as an anti-inflammatory pain relieving anti-aging antioxidant boost squelching inflammation all night long They've got over 20 peer-reviewed research studies that have been published on the extensive health benefits of grounding. For vagal tone, serum electrolytes, thyroid function, blood glucose, blood viscosity, sleep, pain, stiffness, blood pressure, stress, even depression and anxiety. It's crazy. So you can go to ultimatelongevity.com slash Ben to get your hands on these grounding mats. You can do mattress, pillow, blankets, a whole bunch of other valuable tools to help you bring your inflammation down and jumpstart your healing process. Again, it's ultimatelongevity.com slash Ben. Well folks, you and I, or the average American at least, spend an average of 90% of time indoors, breathing around 30,000 gallons of air daily. According to the EPA, indoor air can be two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some cases a hundred times more polluted, especially like your home gym where you're breathing in even more air. This can be a serious issue. Data shows that air pollution is responsible for nearly 7 million premature deaths around the world. So you need air purifying technology. And the one that I like as a standalone system that doesn't require you to go re-outfit your entire home's AC system or ducts is called the Air Doctor. The Air Doctor filters out dangerous contaminants and allergens like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold so your lungs don't need to. Their ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested bacteria and viruses and virtually 100% of particles as small as 0.003 microns. They also feature whisper jet fans 30% quieter than normal, ordinary air purifiers, and they are extremely affordable and accessible. Furthermore, they're going to give you up to 39% off of one of their extremely impressive and efficacious air filters, or up to $300 off today. Here's how you lock this in. You go to airdoctorpro.com slash you can get one with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund, minus shipping. But you're going to love it. AirDoctorPro.com slash Ben G. You'll get up to 39% off or up to $300 off. So lock it in today, folks. You'll enjoy it. Clean air is something everybody deserves. You can get it with the Air Doctor. I'm curious. I mean, I just want to jump right into some of the, some of the cool science on this. I think it was a few years ago. I was... um Reading a study, I believe it came out of Israel, and it was showing that people who ate, I think they were cookies and bananas, had varying responses in their blood sugar reaction to those arguably sweet and starchy foods based on what I understood was their gut microbiome. And they're even down to the, the probiotic balance in their gut. And I think some people had a big response big blood sugar response. Some people had less of a blood sugar response and they found out this was all due to their genetic diversity of the gut biome, I guess. And, and so I wanted to ask you if what you do kind of like stemmed from that study or if you're aware of it or your your take on that whole thing.
1: Sure. Yeah. Those studies coming out of the, the Weizmann Institute in Israel have been really foundational and, and they continue to do amazing work in the field of the microbiome um, and, and I think that, you know, at a, at a high level, when we think about metabolism, we all sort of, it's been a little bit confounding. How does metabolism work? Why do some people appear to have faster metabolisms than other people? There's a genetic component we know about, you know, our, our human genetics. And I think what we haven't really, and, and there's certainly nutrition and exercise and all of these things that we've all kind of learned about and debated over the, you know, decades. But I think what was new that, you know, they were one of the first people to really come out with, and, and there've been several other groups also that have been really, um Uh, foundational in our understanding of the microbiome, what they realized was that there's this whole world of bacteria and viruses and fungi that live inside us, in our guts, and they are literally digesting all the foods coming into our system, and they are a huge part of our metabolism. And this is a huge unlock. We didn't know, as scientists or as people, we didn't even know that there was this whole real world of microbes there that we've co-evolved with over time and what a huge role they're playing in our metabolism! So that's over the last ten years been um, you know just a, a real uh, awakening and opening of data and, and products that can really help us in metabolism.
0: So you, you said it was the Wiseman Institute, uh, I think in Israel, that did this research. Did you start Pendulum before or after all that research was coming out?
1: I think. That- research was coming out relatively concurrently. Some of the research that really uh, sparked our interest was coming out of um, Lee Kaplan's lab over at Harvard. Um, And they were doing some similar analyses uh, of the gut microbiome and particularly um, some of these strains that they thought were involved in uh, metabolizing our foods and particularly helping us to metabolize sugars and carbs better. And so some of the work coming out of there um, and then also some of the work coming out of um, uh, University of Washington in St. Louis. Pete Turnbaugh was doing a bunch of work comparing obese and lean people and, and really doing all these preclinical animal studies showing that you could like transfer microbiomes and make mice skinny and fat all just by changing their microbiome. So all of that work was sort of happening, you know, around 2010, 2012. And so that's really. We started our company in 2012, and, and a lot of that stuff was really what made us believe there was a, an, an opportunity here in the microbiome.
0: Okay, so this this is a weird question, maybe. I don't know if you've gotten this before, but I wear this continuous blood glucose monitor. I'm going to show it on the video. By the way, if you want the video version of this podcast, go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash pendulum podcast. That's bengreenfieldlife.com slash pendulum podcast. And I've got this blood glucose monitor on. I can hold my phone up to it. It's a Freestyle Libre. It'll tell me my blood glucose in real time. And I was thinking about this, about the fact that, gosh, when I when I test this, this is measuring the sugar in my blood. But how the heck do you make the connection from a bacteria in my gut to the sugar in my blood? I think that it would be really helpful for me to wrap my head around this whole gut metabolism axis. If you could describe how this actually works, how you know, what I eat, specifically the bacterial content in my food or the biome in my gut actually influences something like blood sugar?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, at first, it's sort of non obvious how your your gut uh, bacteria might be influencing your blood glucose spikes. And I actually also wore a continuous glucose monitor to understand what impact the products were having on on my own blood glucose spikes. But fundamentally, um, everything we eat first goes into your stomach, you have all these stomach acids, and they kind of break down your food to some extent. But more importantly, um, as your food parts go down the digestive tract, uh, they hit the gut microbiome. And um, this is where the real metabolism of all of your food is happening. And one of the things that we all know is that a high fiber diet is really good for us. We're supposed to eat lots of fruits and vegetables. And one of the reasons why a high fiber diet is good for us is because when it gets to when those fibers get to the gut microbiome, they get metabolized into small molecules um, called short-chain fatty acids. One of the most important is called butyrate. Um, and those sh- small molecules that the microbiome creates after metabolizing our fibers actually stimulate GLP-1 production. And a lot of people don't know this. G- you know, GLP-1s are certainly starting to become more, more well-known, but a lot of people don't know that um, GLP-1 is actually triggered in the gut microbiome.
0: What's, what's GLP-1 stand for?
1: GLP-1 stands for glucagon-like peptide, and essentially, it is a small molecule that um, stimulates insulin response. and the and, and it actually does more than that. So, on the one hand, it stimulates insulin response to help clear out the the sugar in your blood after you've eaten a meal, but it also appears to have a um, very strong tie to our 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 brains and our cravings and our food cravings. And so people who, uh, you know, take these GLP-1 drugs, which are designed for people with type 2 diabetes, not only see that their sugars are metabolized in their blood more effectively by releasing insulin, but they also find that they have increased satiety. So they just really don't crave foods as much. And so that combination leads to kind of a a really nice positive cycle in which you are metabolizing sugars better. And then you're also craving less of the foods that, that kind of cause these high sugar spikes. And so glp1 drugs like ozempic and things like that that that's how they function and um they're they're extremely effective uh in in helping to lower blood glucose spikes and and lower food cravings
0: would you ever take those those those, i think they call them semaglutide peptides because now now i know why i've heard that term glp1 before because everybody's dropping that as the way that these drugs like or peptides if you want to call them like ozempic actually work what do you think of those
1: I personally would not take them. Um, And and, and the reason is because, you know, first of all, they were designed for people with type 2 diabetes, um, who are people that are actually um, unable to uh, produce the right amount of GLP-1 in order to manage their blood glucose spikes. So you're talking about people that have a disease that a drug was designed for. And if you're a a healthy person and you're able to make GLP-1, kind of adding a a drug on top of that in general, there's going to be side effects that you're going to experience But maybe more importantly is physiologically what GLP-1, how it's supposed to work. So how it's supposed to work is that, you know, you eat food, your microbiome digests that food, and it tells your body, we just ate a bunch of food, we need to clear the blood, we need to clear the glucose out of the blood. So it stimulates GLP-1, GLP-1 gets released, it tells your body to release insulin, you clear the the sugar out of your bloodstream. So actually the levels of GLP-1 in your blood go like this, kind of similar to blood glucose spikes. When your body eats food, GLP-1 gets spiked in your bloodstream to tell your body to metabolize that sugar, and then it goes away. And then when you eat again, it does the same thing. And so you're supposed to have this cycle of GLP-1. What the GLP-1 drugs do is they increase GLP-1 consistently. So you no longer have this cycle that your body is supposed to have. It's just high levels of GLP-1 all the time. And while that can result in really nice immediate results, um, it's not the way your body is supposed to physiologically work. And so when you disrupt cycles like that in your physiology and and all kinds of other biochemical systems get disrupted. And so for me, um, since I don't have diabetes, uh, I I wouldn't personally take them.
0: So if you had the GLP-1 constantly being stimulated by these semaglutide peptides, would you have constantly... Uh, high insulin levels or low insulin levels?
1: You would be high. So basically, you're you're trying to uh, your body is constantly trying to metabolize all the sugar in your bloodstream, even when they're even when you haven't eaten.
0: Huh? So you could almost like induce kind of like chronic hyperinsulinemia with these.
1: And not only that, but these beta cells, which are producing insulin, you're constantly stimulating them and having them going, and so eventually those beta's. And and this is actually quite well known for people with type two diabetes when you keep stimulating those beta cells that produce insulin, over time, the drugs become less effective because you're you're basically... um, It's like if someone were yelling in your ear all day long. In the beginning, you might have a reaction, but after a while, you're going to start to tune it out. And our cells have a similar feedback loop, which is to say that under constant stimulation, eventually they become less responsive. And so that's what you're doing to your body. You're overstimulating a process all the time that's not supposed to be turned on all the time.
0: Huh. Well, I mean, even though, like, obviously being overweight or obese might have more risks than something like this peptide might present. sounds to me like we would have to see like a lot better long-term safety data on something like pancreatic function or insulin sensitivity before saying that, you know, the average, I don't know, fitness enthusiast who wants to lose a few pounds or one of these anti-aging enthusiasts who wants to keep blood sugar regulated effectively should use something like this.
1: A hundred percent. I mean, the the long-term effects and safety of long-term use of the drugs you know, in healthy people um, really hasn't been explored. They were developed for people with diabetes.
0: Yeah. And in contrast, it's my understanding that a lot of these so-called blood glucose disposal agents that a lot of people talk about, like berberine or bitter melon extract or apple cider vinegar, or I suppose like a, a pharmaceutical like metformin, those are acting differently, right? Those are triggering, the, from what I understand, the cell surface receptor, the, the glute transporter that would allow for glucose to to be taken up into something like muscle rather than hanging around the bloodstream. It's a different mechanism of action, isn't it?
1: Well, to be honest with you, even though metformin has been out for a long time, I think there's still things being uncovered about it. and, and Actually, there's a pretty strong set of hypotheses around metformin impacting the gut microbiome and yeah. that being one of its mechanisms of action too. And and, and actually a, a lot of people theorize about apple cider vinegar as having kind of a similar thing. So you're introducing something more acidic into the microbiome. You're potentially changing the composition of the microbes that are there. But ultimately the microbiome is your natural way to metabolize these fibers and to help your body metabolize sugars and carbs by stimulating GLP-1. That That's kind of the natural system. And so that's where the microbiome becomes really interesting because what people found is that people with obesity and type 2 diabetes are low or entirely missing these microbes that stimulate GLP-1. And so that's where you start to have really interesting you know, intervention opportunities.
0: So rather than taking GLP-1, you're actually allowing the bacteria in your gut to naturally produce GLP-1 all on its own. What, what kind of bacteria would actually do that?
1: Well, there's actually only one strain so far that's been known to do that. So, so as I mentioned, you know there are these short chain fatty acids like butyrate that get produced by the microbiome, and there's been evidence suggests that butyrate can stimulate GLP one production. There's actually only one bacterial strain that's ever been shown to directly be able to stimulate GLP one, and it's a strain called Akkermansia mucinophila. And um, this is a strain that you're you're really not going to see on labels, and certainly uh, probably most people haven't heard of it but it is emerging as a keystone strain in the the gut because it is the only strain that we know of right now that literally lives in your gut lining. And its job all day and all night is to keep that gut lining regulated. And it also is the only strain that is known to be able to stimulate GLP-1. And so it really uh, is is becoming clear that this strain is super important. And maybe I'd say moreover, the way acromancia started to make its way into this keystone strain status is because there are a wide variety of diseases in which people are low in acromancia. So there's obesity, type two diabetes, type one diabetes, actually, um, a bipolar disorder, inflammatory diseases, immune diseases. So you start to say like, well, gee, all these diseases, um, that people have, and they're also low, they're, you know, correlatively low in acromancia, You know, why would that be? And, and really what's starting to emerge is that acromancia is just playing a really core role in the gut lining, um, as well as the production of GLP-1. And that's how it's having all these outside, outsized effects when you don't have enough of it.
0: What was that word you said after acromancia, like musophila?
1: Acromantia mucinophila and and you know what we can do i can describe a little bit more about mucin if you want
0: yeah the reason i ask is when you see probiotics named like you'll see lactobacillus but then you'll see i don't know like lactobacillus uh, ruderi, for example so maybe stepping back for a second how how are probiotics actually named and are there different kinds of acromantia in addition to this this one that i'm going to butcher the name of again the musophyllum acromantia
1: yeah. So like we, we all have to like go back to, I think, seventh grade biology when we learned about, you know, genus and family and that, that whole uh, ordering of things, things like lactobacillus and acromantia are kind of the species name. So, you know, all different bacteria uh, can be bucketed into one of these species. And so the first word is the species. And then the second word is more defining the strain. And so, um, within Lactobacillus, you have Lactobacillus plantarum, Lactobacillus ruteri. These are different strains that fall in that Lactobacillus species. So they're more similar to each other than they are to say something outside, like of the Lactobacillus family, but they have some slight differences between them in terms of their functionality or maybe how um, much of them that people have or how they interact with other strains. Um, and so when we talk about acromansia, that's sort of the species. And then acromancia mucinophila is the strain. Um, and, And there's even deeper ways in which people think about strains too. Like there might be different methylation of these strains that might make people say, well, actually these two strains are not the same. And so that starts to get into a lot of kind of very academic conversations on what is the definition of a strain. But Acromantia mucinophila is the full name and Acromantia is the name of the species. Does that help?
0: Yeah, it does. Where does Acromantia mucinophila, if I said that correctly, actually come from?
1: Oh my gosh, that's the million-dollar question. So, uh, it's not exactly entirely known. Nobody has been able to um, find acromancia in any of our foods or beverages. Um, we you you can find acromancia actually in mother's breast milk. So it's believed that maybe some of the first acromancy we get comes from mom's breast milk. But it's pretty unclear actually where it comes from and how you get it. But what's known is that there are a lot of ways in which it can become depleted over time so when you look at sort of healthy if we all kind of think back to a time when we could eat or drink whatever we wanted to um and you look in those sort of healthy uh you know almost like teenagers there's really large abundances of acromancia. and and there's a lot of things that can cause us to lose acromancia. you know one of them is simply aging as we age we start to lose acromancia. when we go through periods of intense stress we start to lose acromancia. when women go through menopause we lose acromancia. When you travel and your circadian rhythm gets messed up, night becomes day, day becomes night, you lose acromancia. So there are all these pressures that are happening around us in our environment that are causing us to lose this strain. And yet we don't know how to get it back because we don't know any foods or beverages in which it resides. The only thing that we've seen is that if you eat polyphenols, so you increase your polyphenol uptake, that can stimulate the growth of acromancia, And if you up your fiber intake, these are all prebiotics that feed into strains feed acromancia. So if you increase fibers and polyphenols, you can increase acromancia levels, but really up until very recently, you couldn't even get acromancia or take it directly.
0: Okay. And that maybe I'm a little bit confused here because like last week somebody sent me this white bottle and it says acromancia on the label. Is it is that actually acromancia or is it a bunch of stuff that helps you make acromancia yourself?
1: Well, it was a white bottle. It didn't come from our company.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, well, I mean, like if I was at Walgreens or CVS and the label says Acromancia, is it just a bunch of precursors? Kind of like if you see like the testosterone booster, it's not actually testosterone, it's tribulus or, you know, fenugreek or whatever
1: unless it came from pendulum there is no other company in the world right now that is selling acromancia live acromancia that you can take directly so if they're saying acromancia on the label it would be a prebiotic boosting acromancia unless it's oh. from pendulum
0: okay got it those bastards so how how do you guys make it is it like in a lab or something
1: yeah we actually had to create an entire manufacturing plant to figure out how to grow this train I mean, to be honest with you, to be totally candid, when we started this, we just realized this strain was really important. We actually had no idea how hard it was going to be to grow this strain, but basically, this strain lives in your gut lining, in what's a in your gut microbiome, which is strictly anaerobic, meaning there's no not a single molecule of oxygen in there. And so what we had to do was to understand how acromancia grows in our GI tract. And then try to replicate that in a kind of outside the GI tract manufacturing setting. And so um, figuring out how to grow Acromansia was super hard. And then figuring out how to keep it alive and then get it into these pills and deliver it to people and show that it actually took foothold in their microbiomes was also really hard. And so that's kind of, our company's been around for about 10 years. That's what we spent a good amount of that 10 years trying to figure out how to do.
0: So how do you do it?
1: So the key is that you have to create a manufacturing plant that end to end doesn't allow any oxygen into it. And so, I mean, oxygen is all around us in the air. And so that was actually one of the hardest things to do. And 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 kind of the way that you do that is you're constantly pumping in other gases that will compete out the oxygen. So we have like tanks and tanks of nitrogen and CO2 and all these other, um, you know, gases that get pumped in to to really pump the oxygen out. And then the second thing is figuring out what are the nutrients that acromancy can live off of, because it actually lives off of, it's called acromantia mucinophila because it munches on the mucin in your gut. So maybe I'll just take one second to explain these kind of, h- how that kind of looks in the body. So yeah. The, the way the gut lining is structured is, is almost like a fence. So I actually have a wooden fence in my backyard. Uh, there are all these planks. They're held together by glue. When I moved into the house, the wooden fence was super strong. Over time and through weather, you know, those planks can become weak and they can start to fall and the glue can start to get weak. Um, and our gut lining is actually exactly the same way. We, we have literally these planks, uh, these cells in the gut lining, and we have glue that holds those together. That's called mucin. And acromantia lives at that gut lining. And acromantia's job all day and all night is to strip that mucin, to strip that glue when it gets weak and to put new glue up when uh, it's doing that so that that gut lining and that fence can stay really strong. And and the repercussions to not having a strong gut lining or a strong fence is that when one of those planks comes down or that glue gets weak, you now have these holes or these, these leaks, as some people call them, in which these molecules inside your microbiome can make their way into your bloodstream, and that's what leads to kind of these heightened inflammatory responses, sort of miscommunication in the immune response. And so acromantia mucinophila lives off of that glue, that mucin. And so figuring out how to replicate that uh, in a lab was sort of the the, the second challenge in, in figuring out how to grow these.
0: Your lab sounds like a giant, like, gut-slash-farting factory with all the gases and the giant anaerobic tube it's almost like it just replicated a human gut
1: totally and i'll tell you something funny which is that when we first started doing this we literally were breathing in all of these they're not noxious fumes but they really did not (laughs) smell good and so we had to get all these air filtration systems just to like be able to uh, come into work and not feel like you're going to pass out
0: yeah, my office sometimes also smells like a giant fart, but for different reasons, obviously. So when when you look at the uh, the ability, like you said, for you guys to be able to take this acromantia that you're making and keep it alive, are you then putting other things in this pendulum capsule, like the polyphenols that you talked about or some sort of food for the acromantia to feed on?
1: Yes, yeah, so we add um, inulin, which is a type of fiber in there, which we know that this acromantia can can feed off of. We put a, a very um, a small amount, which is really intended for the acromancia, into the pill. Um, we don't add polyphenols in with acromancia because, as you just heard, it's a kind of a finicky, sensitive strain. And so, in a lot of ways, figuring out what you can pack in the pill with acromansia in is um, is important for, um, well, well, you want to make sure that you're maintaining the viability of the strain when you're packing other things in the pill. And so we actually did some studies looking across different types of polyphenols and how they interacted with our specific acromantia strain. And so we do offer polyphenols that specifically interact with this strain of acromantia, but they're in a separate pill Because when they're actually in the pill with acromantia, um, they can affect the viability of the acromantia strain itself.
0: That's right. This is sounding familiar because you sent me, I think, two bottles. And I think one was Pendulum, but then one was like to be taken in combination with it. I tested it, by the way, because I I experiment with this stuff all the time. Like the apple cider vinegar, I've experimented with metformin, uh, with bitter melon, with berberine. I haven't tried out any of those ozempic semaglutide peptides yet for a... kind of for some of the reasons we just discussed. But I did note that it seemed to very effectively keep my blood glucose low compared to a lot of these other blood glucose disposal agents that I was taking. But you would take both at the same time, right? The acromantia, then you'd take the polyphenol at the same time, like before a meal?
1: Yeah, you would take them together um, because basically you're, it's, it's the double hit. You're giving yourself the actual acromantia strain and then the prebiotic that's going to help it grow.
0: What if you take it after a meal or what if you forget? Like, like how does the timing work?
1: Well, actually, I think, you know, unlike drugs, the timing of this is probably a lot more forgiving and uh, complex. So what you're asking this pill to do is to get make its way into your GI tract to uh, open up after it gets to that GI tract. And we actually have special coating to make sure it doesn't just open up in your stomach. We, we sort of pay for this time-released capsule. So it gets to your gut microbiome. That capsule has to open up the freeze-dried um, strain has to then get rehydrated and come to life, and then it has to start doing its activity. So there's a lot of steps in that, and um, taking it, you know, concurrently with a meal, uh, it, it, it that that may be really important. But it may be that you have to take it for a while for them oh, to actually yeah. um, take a foothold in your gut and then start to have that activity.
0: Yeah, kind of like that. Uh, I interviewed Dr. William Davis. I don't know if you know him. He has a great book. It's called The Gut Fix, and he's big on lactobacillus, uh, the the l ruderi strain, and he has this yogurt. I still make it. I make that yogurt, or somebody in my house makes it, like every couple of weeks, ever since I've done that podcast, like two years ago. And I mix it with a little bit of gelatin afterwards to make it nice and thick. But he said you have to take it for like a solid, I think it was two to four weeks before you actually start to notice some of the bowel regularity, the sleep enhancement, et cetera. And I think it's for similar reasons. You have to build up these bacteria in your gut, right?
1: That's right. And, and for some people, whatever the ecosystem that they have in their microbiome allows these new strains to come in and like immediately take foothold. So for some people, they can see a difference in a matter of days. Hmm. And for other people, it can take as long as you know 90 days, three months, to really see a difference. It just depends on what your existing ecosystem looks like and how easy or hard it is for this particular strain to make its way I- into the system.
0: If you're in your 30s or anywhere beyond, you got to start eliminating senescent cells in your body. These are the so-called zombie cells that make you feel old before it's time to feel old. They linger in your body after their useful function, hence their name zombie cells, wasting energy and precious nutrition and leading to so many middle-aged symptoms like low energy, brain fog, slow workout recovery, and joint discomfort. But luckily, you can nuke these senescent cells. There are a bunch of different newly discovered plant-derived ingredients that, when expertly combined, can help to reduce senescent cells. And the folks at NeuroHacker have cracked the code on putting them all together into a fantastic product called Qualia Senolytic. Qualia Senolytic. Now, this could be one of the biggest aging breakthroughs of the decade based on what we know about senescent cells. It could take years off how old you feel in just months. and You only use it twice a month, six capsules twice a month, super simple. I'm actually on my cycle right now. I just took six this morning. I'll take six tomorrow morning, then I set it and forget it for a month, nuking my senescent cells and feeling younger in the process. So If you're sick of feeling old before your time, try try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com slash Ben Seno, S-E-N-O, neurohacker.com slash Ben Seno, Backed by a hundred day money back guarantee, and that code Ben Senno will give you an additional 15% off at neurohacker.com forward slash bencenno. I don't think it's any secret that I'm not a huge fan of big, clunky New Year's resolutions. Why? Because they usually rely on willpower. And willpower is a tool of your conscious mind that controls just like two to four percent of your daily actions. Your habits, whether good or bad, in fitness or nutrition or productivity and beyond, they're all deeply ingrained, and that creates an internal thermostat that keeps you stuck in your current situation. Well, the good news is you're not alone. I've worked with thousands of clients who were all trying the right things but felt stuck and realized their willpower was not what helped them get out of their scenario. Instead, they needed direction, guidance, accountability, a plan, a program, and a big why, and I provide all of that with my revolutionary coaching programs. I have retooled the coaching programs. We have amazing options for you in our brand new elite programs from bengreenfieldlife.com. So you can join now and redefine your reality with a limited time offer of 40% off of your first month of coaching. Here's how. Go to bengreenfieldlife.com/elite for a personalized coach setup perfectly for you to achieve any goal you want safely, quickly, and effectively. Ben com forward slash E L I T E and I'll see you on the inside. Well I mean this this kind of reminds me of what I was talking about earlier with that study in Israel about different people's biomes and you know cookie responders and banana responders and non-responders. What about something like acromantia? Like could there be genetic variation in the microbiome that would be Something that could predispose someone to be like an acromantia non responder
1: well um actually one of the things that is is in that study is they do show that different levels of acromancia are associated with your ability or inability to really metabolize these you know high sugar foods so basically, people who are low in acromancia um, not only are they not able to uh, respond as well to these high sugar foods um there's actually been studies showing that if you're low in acromancia. And somebody else is high on acromancia, and you go on the same diet, so same high fiber, you know, low fat diet. Um, if you're low in acromancia, you won't respond as well as that other person. So acromancia is really a, a, a key strain that can even help you respond to dieting better. Um, huh. And so I don't think we know whether uh, there are people who are non-responsive to acromancia, but we definitely know that. When you start to give people back acromancia, they start to get these functions back, and their blood glucose response starts to improve. It's awesome to hear that you observe that too, because as you can imagine, the healthier you are, the harder it is to really see a response. And so it's pretty amazing that you were able to see yeah. something.
0: Yeah. You, you know, it, I don't know if you know the answer to this question kind of related to diet variation or if there you know of any research about this, but a lot of people eat a low-carb or ketogenic diet. And obviously most of those people are going to have more stable blood glucose. Arguably, you could even theorize maybe they have less of a need for elevated levels of acromantia. Let's say somebody's been eating a diet like that, and then they switch to like a moderate to you know higher carbon intake or start to introduce fruits or berries or honey or things like that. Do you think that those type of people would, based on their diet not needing as much acromantia, actually go through a period of time where they had Higher blood glucose responses once they started to introduce more carbs until they got more acromancy in their gut.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I don't think that's been specifically studied, but um, it has been sh- kind of shown that when you go onto a keto diet, um, you can actually increase your levels of acromancia. So huh. um, I don't kind that's, really that's understand. Kind of, that's, that's, that's
0: kind of like counterintuitive, isn't it? Uh, me at least.
1: Well. Sort of, except that acromancia feeds off this glue, this mucin, and actually one of the biggest producers of of mucin is are, is a meat byproduct. Oh. So um, you know that 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 might be the way that that's happening.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So you said the acromancia, not the polyphenol product, that is your your separate pendulum product, but the acromantia product, you said that has inulin and acromantia in it. Does it have anything else in it?
1: No, the pure acromancia product doesn't have anything else in it. But we also have some formulations. So Pendulum Glucose Control, which was designed to help people lower blood glucose spikes um, and lower A1c, that one has acromancia plus four other strains um, which are involved in this metabolism of fiber into the short-chain fatty acids and help produce butyrate. And so um, that formulation has been clinically shown to lower A1c and lower blood glucose spikes um, in people with diabetes uh, lowered A1C by 0.6 and lowered blood glucose spikes by 34%. So, um, super effective as a formulation. Some people are really just low in acromancy. And so, just adding acromancy can have an impact in and of itself. But if you're looking for like the, the full kitchen sink, uh, Pendulum Glucose Control and Metabolic Daily have acromancy plus these other strains.
0: Actually, that was the one that you sent me, was the glucose control. But I didn't realize it had four strains in addition to acromancy. And are these all strains that you came up with too?
1: Three of those four strains, yes, we are also the, the, the people who manufacture them and, and identify them. One of them is a relatively common strain. It's called Bifidobacterium infantis. Um, that one you can you can find in, in lots of different probiotics. It is one of the steps, one of the biochemical steps in creating butyrate. And so we have that strain in there. But we also have um, Clostridium butyricum, uh, Clostridium bejarinki, and Anaerobutyricum heli. You're not going to find those on any other label. So those and Acromansia mesonophila, those are strains that we identified, that we manufacture, um, and they're all kind of these strict anaerobes where you can't have any oxygen in the manufacturing system.
0: Got it. Now, now, it's my understanding that for people who are wanting to eat a low fermentation diet or who have maybe struggled with small intestine bacterial overgrowth, that they're supposed to be careful with fibers. And, and a lot of times they'll get a lot of bloating and gas with some of these prebiotic fiber blends and even inulin. Have you ever found any issues to arise in people who have this kind of like excess gas production in response to fiber intake when they're using something like the, the acromantia and inulin combination?
1: Well, um, so we haven't, so disclaimer, we haven't done a clinical trial in SIBO or, or anything like that. But we have a fair number of customers um, with SIBO who started taking our products, you know, pendulum glucose control or acromantia. And um, reported benefit, and and really, what we think is happening for those folks is that there is a little bit of inulin in there. It's it's an incredibly small amount, so it's not enough to sort of stimulate the the, the response that these patients have. But what's actually happening for them is that, you know, when when you have SIBO or when you have some of these um, uh, kind of digestive issues, what people often end up doing is going onto a very very Um, refined diet. And they're basically just trying to figure out like, what can I eat? What can't I eat? And so they end up starting with like, you know, bare minimum, bare bones. And so they actually reduce, one of the big things is to reduce your fiber intake because that's one of the things that can kind of stimulate these these unwanted reactions. What these strains are doing is they help you metabolize fiber. And so the hypothesis for these people who have SIBO that are taking our products um, of, of why it's helping them is that they aren't able to eat fiber because they don't have the microbes that help them metabolize the fiber. Now that they're giving themselves the microbes to metabolize the fiber, they can start to uh, eat these foods that they hadn't been able to eat before and mm. not have those reactions. And so we haven't done a clinical trial on it, but it, it, it's been super interesting to kind of f- follow these customers and, and their, their journeys with SIBO.
0: Okay. I got to try an N equals one now that you've said that, cause I didn't realize it could help you potentially to digest prebiotic fibers. There's this one company called Miracle Noodles that I love. They got like fettuccine and angel hair pasta and spaghetti and done-for-you keto meals. And it's all made out of this Japanese yam. And so it's like almost zero calorie, zero carbohydrate, and it's just fiber. And I got on like a Miracle Noodle kick where I was doing like a whole package with lunch every day. And after about a month of that, I actually started to get like pretty significant amounts of bloating and gas all the way up to and sometimes after dinner so i told my wife i'm like gosh i don't know what to do like these miracle noodles i love they're making me bloaty now and about two weeks ago i quit eating all of them except they have one version called the content pasta which is made out of a a different form of fiber that my gut seems to agree with but i'm thinking now maybe i should just like pop a bunch of acromantia whenever i eat like a high fiber meal like that and see if it has any effect you think something like that could work
1: A hundred percent. I think you should totally run that experiment. I cannot wait to hear the results. But I would say, you know, be on the, be be dosing yourself with acromancia. Give it, you know, if if you, if you kind of went off of it for a second here, I would, I would give myself four weeks on it. So 30 days on it. And then try that, the yam based Mm. food again and see if it, if it works, because you want to give your yeah. body a chance to kind of actually colonize the strain.
0: Yeah. You're going to make a whole bunch of people with SIBO or SIBO tendencies who miss their salads and their fibers a lot happier with this information. Cause this is actually something I haven't heard of before. And that's the number one complaint I get with people who SIBO. like, I like to have my big salads and everything. I can't cause I get so bloated. So this is interesting. This is good information. Now, what if I were building up my acromancer levels or using pendulum or something like that? And I get an antibiotic, is it just going to nuke everything and I got to start over?
1: Yeah, I mean, I used to think it made no sense to kind of take a probiotic alongside an antibiotic. Well, first, first of all, to answer your question, it's yes. So an antibiotic is, uh, is, is a nuke to your whole system. It really does kill, you know, almost every single bacterial strain uh, in in your body. Um, and, and I used to think that it didn't make sense to take a probiotic while you're on an antibiotic because it's just going to be killing the strain off. But there was an interesting study that just came out that showed that people who kind of stayed on, a like were taking probiotics proactively before going on antibiotics. For for many people, you kind of know when you're going to go on an antibiotic, like if you're going to surgery or whatever. So they started taking probiotic before they went on antibiotics. Um, For those people who were on a probiotic before they started the antibiotic and they continued on the probiotic through the antibiotic treatment compared to people who were on no probiotic. On the other side of that antibiotic treatment, these people who had been on the probiotics were actually able to reconstitute their microbiome with these beneficial huh. strains more easily than the people who weren't. So so now I kind of changed my tune after seeing that study. I don't, we don't understand why that is, but uh, I, I basically now tell people, like, don't go off of them. Just keep taking them. I don't know why, but there's this data out there suggesting it's helpful.
0: That that must be a new study because so many functional medicine practitioners and nutritionists still tell you it's useless to keep taking a probiotic when you're on an antibiotic because it's going to nuke it anyways. Is this, is this a pretty new study?
1: Yeah, that's a new study, and and I and I like I said I would agree with that. I mean, you know, logically it, it doesn't make sense to kind of have these two things countering each other. But this this new study really sh- and it was well run. Um, it really shows that there might be something more there than, than what we understand. There might be some, I don't want to call it like a memory, but there there's something there to continue to take yeah. from.
0: That's interesting. Could you ever have too high of Acromantia levels? Like, could you take too much? If so, what would happen?
1: Well, with the Acromantia product that we have out, uh, we we've basically did all of the safety studies. I mean, you could down a whole bottle and you'd be fine. And so, um, you know, no from that perspective, but I'll give the caveat, like this is really still an early science. So what we know today uh, is nothing compared to what we're going to know 10 years from now. Acromancy was only just discovered actually in the early 2000s. So we haven't really known about it for very long. So there hasn't been anything to show that if you administer, you know, acromancy at really high levels, you can have some detrimental effect. Um, but, you know, I'll give the caveat that, you know, we're still pretty early in it. So you, you never really know.
0: Yeah, yeah, this is interesting. You know, I had a friend, have a friend who has Parkinson's. And I think like six or seven months ago, I was listening to a podcast, I think it was, with somebody who had, I think it's a probiotic compound called sugar shift, like some kind of bacterial strain that can lower blood glucose. I don't know if it's working on the same mechanism of action as or if you know of it. But they were alluding to the idea that some of these gut metabolism strains may have an impact on Parkinson's. And so I'm curious if you're aware of that, if this is any strain, if acromantia plays a role, or is there any link that you know of between gut metabolism and Parkinson's?
1: Yeah, this is super interesting. So first of all, on a personal note, I started my career working in pharma and we were trying to develop drugs for Parkinson's disease. So I, we, we, when we were studying Parkinson's disease, it was all about the brain. So, So one of the hallmarks of Parkinson's is that you start to get these, these plaques in your brain, they show up there, there's these like dark plaques in your brain. And, um, the, the biggest way in which people were trying to develop drugs for Parkinson's was to try to get rid of those plaques. And so the hope was that if you could get rid of those plaques, you could clear the brain back out and and you could kind of, um, you know, at least, sh- um, elongate the, the progression of Parkinson's so that you could, you know, help people. But one of the most interesting things that's come out is that you don't just have neurons in your brain. You actually also have neurons in your gut. And unlike the neurons in your brain, which is like you get what you get and when they die, they're gone forever. We all know that. You're not supposed to drink because once those neurons are gone, you never get them back. Unlike that, the neurons in your gut are constantly replenishing. So there's new neurons being generated all the time in your gut. And moreover, those neurons in your gut talk to the neurons in your brain. There's this thing called the vagus nerve, and these neurotransmitters can go directly from your gut to your brain. And and basically, your, brain, your gut produces things like serotonin, GABA, all these neurotransmitters in really high doses. And, and we now know that those neurotransmitters can get sent to the neurons in your brain. And then the third thing is, so first of all, you have neurons in your gut. Second of all, they're communicating with the neurons in your brain. And the third, like, super fascinating thing is that These plaques that show up in the neurons in your brain that are associated with Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, those plaques show up in your gut neurons first.
0: So you can actually
1: see them show up in the gut first. And so now the theory is it actually starts in the gut. Then you get this misfiring of signals and then it goes to the brain. And then once it's in the brain, you're kind of hosed. And so really the right target to go after is not the brain. Stop focusing on that. Is to go after those neurons in the gut. How can you accelerate the regeneration of them? How can you get rid of the guys who are misfiring signals? It's like a huge new opportunity to go after these brain diseases through the gut.
0: Oh, this is super interesting. Have you guys actually done any studies on Pendulum as far as like clinical relevance? I mean, you've shown it's decreased blood sugar, but have you ever taken people with diabetes or overweight or obesity or MS or Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or anything like that and actually been able to do trials with Pendulum?
1: It is on our roadmap. So we are in a a deep collaboration with a a professor at the Mayo Clinic really investigating this. I mean, it's super interesting and it could be potentially a huge unlock.
0: Yeah, yeah, that would be really interesting. Okay, so talk to me about the dosage. You mentioned that building it up is a good idea. But how many times a day am I taking this stuff? Is it uh, three times a day, just a couple in the morning with food, without food? Or what's the best way to do this if people are listening and they get their hands on a bottle?
1: Well, we recommend on the bottle, you'll see it says take one in the morning, one in the evening. Um, and the reason we recommend that is because, and, and we say to take it with food. Um, and the reason we say that is because everybody's kind of lifestyle is pretty different when people eat, when they're fasting, all of these things. And so what we're trying to do is to hit you at the two points in the day uh, that maybe give it the best chance of colonization. The, the name of the game is colonization. So we tell people take it in the morning, and the evening, because we don't really know people's lifestyles. And then we recommend that people take it with food because some people are just sort of sensitive to taking supplements in general, like the capsules or whatever. You know, some of the stuff that's the components in it can can cause people to to, to feel sensitive. And when you eat a meal, um, the acidity of your stomach it basically uh, becomes more basic, and so that allows then the capsule to have a better chance of of making it through the, the acid. Whereas if you're taking it on an empty stomach, it's kind of the highest acid stomach moment. And so mm. we tell people take it in the morning, the evening, and with food. Now okay. that being said, I take two in the morning uh, with coffee, <laughs> and so um, and and I saw my blood glucose spikes go down when I was uh, doing my own placebo-controlled trial with a continuous glucose monitor. So it okay. really does vary from person to person. I'd say the most important thing, again, the name of the game is colonization. When can you remember to take it? Where does it fit into your lifestyle? That's the time to be able to to to, to fit it in.
0: Well, don't laugh because a lot of biohackers are doing probiotic enemas, like you know, putting stuff up the butt and hanging upside down and using, you know, butyric acid and you know, this is in addition to something like coffee enemas. Have you ever had anybody put acromancia up their butt? Or you seen any any evidence besides that? Uh, you remember that Jeff Leach guy who went to visit the hunt the Hazda hunter gatherers? I think it was and he hung himself upside down in the middle of the village and did a like a fecal transplant. And I think acromanchia was one bacteria that he saw elevated. But, you know, besides that, uh, any benefits to going up the other side?
1: Well, um, you know, again, we've, we pay extra for these capsules that help people get it through the stomach acid and, uh, to the gut microbiome. Um, and so there, there shouldn't be a need to go up the other side, but, uh, I can't say that I have, uh, investigated. We, we've certainly not done a trial, uh, as in, you know, going the enema route. Um, Okay. And I don't know how effective that
0: one. Okay, good to know. With the with these titanium, you know, super bulletproof time release capsules you're talking about, I don't. Who knows? You might just like cough up your capsule a few hours later and it comes out the other end. So, you know, you might you might <laughs> might have the opposite problem. So, all things to theorize about. Well, co- well, Colleen, this is super interesting. You know, I'm going to put a link to this pendulum stuff if you go to BenGreenfieldLife.com/pendulumpodcast. P E N D U L U M, Pendulum Podcast. I think we have like a discount code for you guys if you want to try the polyphenol, the kind of like done for you blend with the five different strains in it. And um anything else you want to share with people about the formula, Colleen?
1: Well, actually I'm I'm really curious to hear your story. So so you were on product, were you were you wearing a continuous glucose monitor when you were looking at your glucose response?
0: I was. Yep, I was. So I've been taking blood glucose disposal agents, kind of cycling between everything, like I mentioned, from apple cider vinegar to berberine to bitter melon extract. I generally see a restoration of my blood glucose levels to normal pre-meal levels within a couple hours after a meal. And when I'm using these agents, I generally don't see a rise anything more than 120 post-meal, even if that's a starchy meal. When I started taking the Pendulum, I quit taking these others. I didn't do a washout period first, but what I saw when I started taking Pendulum and I quit taking the other blood glucose disposal agents to compare was my results were similar. And then when I quit taking the Pendulum, my blood glucose excursions would go north of 120. I would also get post-meal glycemia. But I only took it for a very short period of time. I think I, I took it consistently for two or three weeks. So I don't even think I've, I've given it a fair trial yet. I didn't understand the point about having the acromantia build up in the gut. So I'm going to do a little bit more testing with this stuff and also test it with the fiber.
1: Yeah, that's that's um, that's awesome. I mean, I uh, I also I did a placebo controlled trial on myself and I wore a continuous glucose monitor. I either took placebo or the the glucose control product and um i actually did it blinded so i told the team like don't make make them look the same like i don't want to know which one i'm on and um i could tell when i was on the formulation because actually my workouts were stronger Hmm. um but then when i got the glucose the 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 glucose monitor data back i could see all my spikes and crashes were minimized and so the area under the curve for both of those was was less and i was only on it for 14 days You know, I think a lot of us try to eat healthy. We think that we're metabolically healthy. But the microbiome is such a black box on how do you even get these strains back? Sort of going back to one of your first questions, how do you get acromancia? That many of us who are doing the best that we can to be as healthy as possible could be depleted. And that could be why you had a really rapid response. I also did too. It was only, you know, two weeks into it that I I saw those changes. So that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, and by the way, that's interesting what you say about the performance. Are there any exercise performance studies on on acromantia, whether it's lactate or reduced rating of perceived exertion or strength or power or anything like that?
1: We haven't done those yet, but that's definitely on our radar on our list to do. And, and as you probably know, when you can um, get your blood glucose spikes under control, for a lot of people, it shows up in different ways. You know, it's more energy, better sleep, better workouts. You don't have that post-lunch crash. And so I think, you know, um, for, for for me, that was how it showed up. But we haven't done any of those kind of studies to to really, you know, any clinical trials to really show those changes.
0: Yeah, Um, but you've no doubt seen a few that have come up over the past few years showing that certain elite athletes have a markedly different uh, biome than their non-athletic or their peers who aren't able to perform quite as well. It is a question which came first, the chicken or the egg, right? Does intense training or competition change the biome or does a certain biome predispose you to being better at certain sports or at certain performance metrics, but it is interesting, and it'd, it'd be interesting to see that repeated with something like acromancy.
1: Yeah, and and acromancy is one of those strains that those athletes are higher in, and oh. and it, and it is interesting because, um, uh, but but knowing whether actually giving yourself more acromancy helps improve your athletic performance—that that's still yet to be done. Yeah. Um, so thanks for sharing your story, and I guess the only thing is that I think we do have a special code Greenfield for people who want to come try the product to get like a 20% off their first bottle of, of membership so they can try all the, the products.
0: Cool. Well, I'm flattered you named your code after me. That's very nice of you. So, so <laughs> Ben Greenfield slash pendulum podcast. Sounds like the code is greenfield, but I'll put it in the show notes as well. And you can also at the show notes, leave your questions, your comments, your feedback for me or Colleen. We check them all out. And, uh, I love to, see some interaction, and be able to keep the conversation going over at bengreenfieldlife.com. So, Colleen, thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go have me some miracle noodles. It's an macromantia. All right, folks, well, have an amazing week. I'm Ben Greenfield, along with Colleen Cutcliffe from Pendulum Therapeutics, signing out from bengreenfieldlife.com. Have an amazing week. Well, this is pretty cool. Just put the finishing touches on a luxury VIP retreat in the Swiss mountains. So, you may have seen a little bit of rumblings about this on social media, but the beautiful Six Senses Retreat, all inclusive luxury locale in beautiful Crans Montana, Switzerland, has graciously allowed me to bring a maximum of up to 10 folks. And this could be individuals, couples, families into a transformative experience there where I'm going to lead breath work, hikes, workouts. You'll get hands-on foraging adventures with nature's freshest ingredients in their cooking class locale there. You're going to get a chance to do amazing spa treatments, a meticulously curated program. You'll get to meet my wife and my sons who will be there Again, families are welcome. You can bring one or two or three kids. You can make it a couples retreat. If you want to go solo, you can. There's a limited number of rooms where we're prioritizing couples and families. But again, if you want to get in, this thing is coming up around the corner, April 17th through the 21st, 2024. So it will be all inclusive. You'll want to fly into Geneva, Switzerland, assuming you want to get into the closest airport. I've already got our flights. Uh, you'll want to mic your calendar for April 17th through the 21st and here's how to get in. You go to slash 6 senses 24 That's slash 6 senses24. And again, it's going to be incredible all the way down to like evening sing-alongs and stargazing and yoga and meditation. And again, the spa there is incredible. Six Senses is known for having incredible retreats around the world. But this one in Switzerland is supposed to be one of the best. I can't wait. I led a retreat in Portugal last year and people just said it was the most amazing experience of their lives. This one will be just as good, if not better. So go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash Six Senses 24, And you can get in on this retreat that's coming up right around the corner, April 17th through the 21st. I hope to see you there. More than ever these days, people like you and me need a fresh, entertaining, well-informed, and often outside the box approach to discovering the health and happiness and hope that we all crave. So I hope I've been able to do that for you on this episode today. And if you liked it, or if you love what I'm up to, then please leave me a review on your preferred podcast listening channel, wherever that might be. And just find the Ben Greenfield Life episode. Say something nice. Thanks so much. It means a lot. In compliance with the FTC guidelines, please assume the following about links and posts on this site. Most of the links going to products are often affiliate links of which I receive a small commission from sales of certain items, but the price is the same for you, and sometimes I even get to share a unique and somewhat significant discount with you. In some cases, I might also be an investor in a company I mention. I'm the founder, for example, of Keon LLC, the makers of Keon-branded supplements and products, which I talk about quite a bit. Regardless of the relationship, If I post or talk about an affiliate link to a product, it is indeed something I personally use, support, and with full authenticity and transparency, recommend in good conscience. I personally vet each and every product that I talk about. My first priority is providing valuable information and resources to you that help you positively optimize your mind, body, and spirit. And I'll only ever link to products or resources, affiliate or otherwise, that fit within this purpose. So there's your fancy legal disclaimer.